0: Happy Mischief Night. This is Kenneth Vigue. The two episodes dropping tonight are not our usual fare. You see, the podcast network this show is a part of is called the Robots Radio Network. This year, our first year all together as a family, I thought it would be fun to do a special bringing together of all of our shows, from the Fallout Lorecast to the Outer World Show. All of your favorite hosts will be featured in a little story I wrote this evening, and we'll each be sharing a Halloween tale of terror, plus some memories of this greatest of holidays. You'll be hearing a little Ray Bradbury from me this evening. But fear not, our Dark Humor Normal programming resumes tomorrow night, on Halloween, with our Chad, a Fallout 76-story Halloween special. For now, listen in as I head to the woods of Maine but run into a spot of car trouble.
1: Ah, there we are. Vacuum tubes Ready to go. Override signal, 92%. Okay, let's begin. Check, check. I apologize for the interruption of your regularly scheduled podcast programming. If you don't know me, I am Ta... er... Mr. Robots. You can call me Mr. Robots. You see, over a year ago, on a... Dark, dark night, just like this one. I was struck with a dark thought. What if I could find voices? Yes, voices, voices of dark intent, comedy, voices of authority and entertainment and gaming, voices that all had a certain quality in sound, the right personalities and energy. Well, I would uh bring them together. You see, great voices are like a perfectly tuned instrument on their own lovely, sure, be- beautiful. Yes. But together, a symphony of intellect and power. We became the Robots Radio Network and in the past year, our little orchestra of entertainment has graced your ears. You may be wondering why I've hijacked their feet. Well, they have something I need. At this time of year, when the shadows grow long and the leaves fade and die to be crushed underfoot, the veil becomes thin. At this time of year, the night grows colder and their voices, their sound changes While sound travels faster in summer, it travels far, far further in the long, whispering cold of October. It's time to harvest the talent I've tended to. I've summoned them here to my remote estate for a very special broadcast together, and I'm quite afraid they will be here for a very, very long time. We've assembled to tell tales of long-forgotten Halloweens, of trick-or-treating, parties, and bobbing apples, and stories new and old of All Hallows' Eve. So dim the lights, light the pumpkin, and clutch your loved ones. This is the Robots Radio Halloween Spooktacular.
0: sake. Great. That's just great. (coughs) Well, (coughs) well, this looks like an engine. That's that's about all I can tell.
2: You know, when Austin and I agreed to carpool with you, we didn't think it would be in a 60-year-old car. What's the
0: damage? No idea. It's it, it's hissing. It's doing hissing things. I like old cars for their aesthetic, but I know next to nothing about their mechanics. Doesn't Austin know a thing or two about cars? What's he doing in there?
2: Recording a teaser for our next episode of the Cast. we're finishing our three-part conspiracy episode that involves the Pennsylvania Dutch, a cryptid known as Stinky Buffalo, and New York City Deli. How's your show going?
0: Ah, yes. Chad, a Fallout 76 podcast pretty good. Dabbling with the idea of killing off Chad and making Season 2 all about a guy named Kyle who has woodland survival skills, a hair trigger temper, and the ability to summon a wendigo.
3: Okay, I'm done, but I can't upload it, because there's no signal. Is this thing dead or what?
0: I'm saying dead.
3: Oh, great. Broke down in the middle of nowhere, on an unlit roadway, somewhere in the woods of Maine. Hey, Dave. Yeah. Are you thinking what I'm thinking?
2: Yeah. Prime cryptid hunting conditions. Cassie the Casco Bay
3: Sea Serpent. Uh, I think we're too far from the seacoast for that one. What about the beast of Turner, Maine? Nah, I'm thinking Sasquatch. Lots of dense trees,
2: no people around. It's perfect time.
0: Oh, okay, you, you two need to stop. You're freaking me out. Three hours at the International Cryptozoology Museum back in Portland was enough to give me nightmares for weeks.
4: Finally, a car. I think they'll pick us up.
0: Ooh, we are straight up going to get murdered.
4: Hey, hey, hey. What the hell are you guys doing out here?
2: Is that Jameson and Brenna? Hey, guys. Car trouble?
4: You could say that. Can you give us a lift? Sure thing. Hop in, man. You can throw your bags in the back.
5: So, Maine. Woohoo should have been there yesterday, but Jameson here wanted to stop off at south at the border, and that's like five hours of my life. I cannot get back.
4: Are you kidding me? It was a 200-foot tall sombrero. That was amazing. Besides, we still made good time. And if we had been on time, then we wouldn't have picked up these guys on the side of the road:
5: Hey, did you guys hear our last episode?
4: Sorry, I I keep forgetting to subscribe. What's the name again? I need to write it down.
5: The Deal Weekly Gaming News.
4: That's it, yeah. We did an encore presentation that focused on uh, that KFC dating simulator. We had, uh, what's his name, Harlan Sanders' grandson on there play it live for us for the first time and did some commentary on the history of uh, the KFC franchise. Oh, how'd it go?
5: Uh, not so well. He had no idea what was going on. Though, in fairness, no one else who plays that game does either.
0: Right. So I'll be that guy. What's up with Tom lately?
5: Uh, Mr. Robots? He's been acting kind of strange. Secretive. Posting weird diagrams and formulas in Discord.
2: What do you think all of this is about? I got this old letter in my mailbox, wax sealed, and all with a robot head stamp? Who even mails letters anymore?
5: So did we. A remote estate deep in the woods of Maine for a special Halloween episode. Our fans would never forget it.
4: It's a little bit, uh, ominous. Ooh. Hey, uh, Brenna, what's the, the house's number again?
5: 1950 Purgatory Point. Oh, look, there it is.
0: Yeah, straight up going to get murdered.
4: Oh hang on a second need to need to pull it to the gate man Tom needs to get some w d forty on this boy.
3: Still no signal. It's the 21st century. You'd think we'd at least have universal cell coverage. Look, is that it?
5: Damn, this place is huge and kind of run down.
4: This place looks like the house from Psycho. Not awesome.
0: Uh, yeah. Straight up going to get murdered.
3: I don't know. It kind of has a melancholy charm to it. I would really like to photograph this place at dusk. This place is spooky
0: as hell. I should have stayed home.
5: Well, too late now. Here we are, for better or worse. I guess let's go in. I could really use a drink.
0: Well, isn't that festive? Straight. Up. Murder.
4: Uh, Tom?
1: Welcome, welcome, my friends. As they say, happy Halloween. You okay? You look like you haven't slept in weeks. Oh, yes. Well, you know when you're running a podcast empire and working on special projects. Well... You can sleep when you're dead. Anyway, where are my manners? Come in. Come.
5: Yup. Just as I thought. Cobwebs and spiders. Fantastic.
1: Yes, uh, sorry about that. I acquired this place only recently. Oh. Uh, relative? No, uh, auction.
4: Murder houses are always great bargains. I'm not one for scary stuff, but this place is pretty good for Halloween.
1: You can drop your bags here, I can show you to the rooms later. We need to start broadcasting shortly, but fear not. I have some goodies uh, through here, in the library. Tell you what, I'll start mixing some drinks for us. Love the art, it's a bit Whistler meets Edward
3: Gorey. Hang on a second, Austin, isn't that... Yeah, that's one of mine. Ruined Barnes in North Carolina at dusk. How did he get that? Huh, that's, that's weird. Over there's a painting of our
2: old uh, like Vault Boys logo that we used to have when we did Vault Boys West
4: Virginia. Hey, Bretta, check this out. Aren't these our passes from E3? Didn't we throw them out? Oh, good lord, what is that? That's,
0: that's the original podcast album art from my show. Originally, it was just a cartoony chad, but I deleted that artwork. How in the hell did he... Cocktails are ready right this way.
4: Nice collection here, buddy. A little creepy familiar. Ah, my little gallery.
1: Well, you're all my family. You always keep family close, don't you? Here, grab a pumpkin martini and take a seat at the round table right here. So, what's this all about, anyway? A special broadcast. I thought I'd get us all together, spin some yarns for our fans on the darkest night of the year, and then I'd share some exciting news with you all. Uh, one moment, though. I just need to prep something.
5: Whoa. You have automated microphone drops?
1: Yeah. As I said, my little projects. Alright, now let's begin. We're having a ball
0: about midnight. Come on, bowl up for the fried a gravestone seat at the monster
4: feast.
1: What's up with this music? Shh, going live. Good evening, boys and ghouls. Welcome to a special Halloween broadcast of the Robots Roundtable. This week, we have assembled at my little retreat a table of familiar voices. For the first time, we are simulcasting this broadcast across all mediums. I am your faithful servant and host, Mr. Robots. With me is Jameson and Brenna.
4: I'm uh, Jameson, host of the DL Weekly Gaming News, and my uh, partner in gaming nonsense, uh, Renna.
5: Hey there. We like to keep things light and fun and bring you all the news from around the world of gaming.
1: We also have two experts in the world of cryptozoology, Dave and Austin.
2: My name is Dave Chafins, and with me, as always, is my
3: favorite son of a mothman, Austin O'Connor. <sighs> I feel like it's time to change that. Uh, so we host the Cryptidcast. Cast. Uh, we dig up the lore, fun, and stories behind everything from Bigfoot to Sheep Squatch and everywhere in between. And lastly, Kenneth Bigue.
0: Good evening. I'm the writer, narrator, and host of Chad a Fallout seventy six story. Normally I'm safe at home in front of a roaring fire with a glass of port in hand, handing out candy on this particular night, but instead I'm in a creepy house in the middle of nowhere with no cell reception. What could possibly go wrong? Can I get another drink? This one emptied itself. Uh, no. Anyway,
1: not all of our hosts could be on the air at the same time, so we'll be doing a second broadcast shortly once other vic- I mean, guess- Arrive. Uh, tonight, we'll be sharing some of our favorite memories of Halloween and all things spooky, as well as sharing some of our favorite short spooky tales from literature or even real life. And now, without further ado, let's don our coats and wander into the dark wilderness with Dave and Austin from the Cryptid cast to see what hidden horrors await. Dave?
6: This is a story of Woodrow Derenberger, a salesman from a small sewing machine company. It began November 2nd, 1966. Derenberger was returning home from a trip to Marietta, Ohio, his home being Mineral Wells, West Virginia. Derenberger was traveling alone, driving along Interstate 77 near Parkersburg, West Virginia. He was suddenly overtaken by a vehicle. vehicle, which Derenberger described as the strangest thing he'd ever seen, claiming it resembled a huge kerosene lamp passed by Derenberger's truck and turned sideways, blocking both lanes of the highway and causing both vehicles to come to a complete stop. Stunned, Derenberger watched as a man emerged from the strange vehicle. The dark-suited and oddly grinning man approached Derenberger's door as the strange vehicle lifted off and floated to about 40 feet above the ground. The man communicated with Derenberger through some sort of telepathy and identified himself as a seeker. He asked Derenberger who he was and then told the frightened salesman that his name was Cold. Cold asked several questions of Derenberger, some pertaining to the nearby town of Parkersburg. And after a short while, he ended the conversation by saying, "'It's been nice to see you, "'Mr. Derenberger. "'We will be seeing you again.' "'And with that, "'Colt stepped away from the truck, "'at which point his strange vehicle "'turned to the roadway. "'And shooting off into the sky, "'he left the bewildered man "'sitting alone on the highway. "'Just ten days later, "'the now-famous events "'of Of the Mothman incident in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, began, which apparently culminated in the collapse of the Silver Bridge in Point Pleasant, killing 46 people. As has been popularized by the Mothman prophecies and based on John Keel's book of the same name, injured Cole was a key figure in those events. Connecting injured Cole with one in Derenberger's version, some suggest that Cole was or is. A member of the elusive and mysterious Men in Black. Others believe he's an alien or an interdimensional being. But his story doesn't end there. And neither does Woodrow Derenberger's. Following the events of Point Pleasant, Derenberger made claims that Cold had admitted, through continued telepathic contact, that he was an alien from a planet called Lanulus. Within the galaxy known as Nemetes, both of which seem to be fictional, more than that, however. Derenberger claimed that Cold had actually taken to Lanulos in a spaceship wherein Derenberger claimed to have seen many other Lanulosians and relayed some commentary on their culture. Over the years, according to Derenberger, Cold was joined on Earth by two Lanulosians named Dimo Hassan and Carl Otto, both of whom were apparently more discreet than Cold ever was. Wild as this may seem, some believe that the events are corroborated by their connection to another terrifying paranormal phenomenon, the Grinning Man, first mentioned by paranormal researcher and author John Keel in his similar work, The Complete Guide to Mysterious Beings, The Grinning Man, or Men, as the case may be, is a strange and rather large man who, like the name suggests, grins and scares the bejesus those who see him. Keel believed the first ever encounter with the Grinning Man occurred in Elizabeth, New Jersey on October eleventh, nineteen 1966, less than a month before Darren Berger's encounter. On that night, two young boys, Martin Munov and James Yakichis, were walking home alone along the road They ran adjacent to the elevated New Jersey turnpike. As they walked along the dark street, Yankechides noticed a strange-looking man standing in the darkness at the top of the treacherous incline, trapped by a chain-link fence. Upon calling out to Minov, the boys watched as the figure slowly turned to face them with an unnerving, ear-to-ear grin. Minov and Yankechides' story was documented by the police, the press, and by Kiel and his team of investigators and other accounts of a strange, tall, grinning man began to come in all around the area. Keel connected this grinning man encounter with an alleged UFO sighting that occurred at the same time some 40 miles north of Elizabeth near DuPont Explosive Factory outside of Pompton Links, New Jersey. Those familiar with the Mothman incident will note that there were several Mothman sightings in the area of Point Pleasant, known as the TNT area which had been a munitions manufacturing and storage area previously. As with many stories of this nature, the connections between incidents are tenuous at times. And some point out that since Keel was almost exclusively the one to document these cases, he may have used poetic license in his tellings of these stories, drawing connections where there might have existed in reality. Because of the relative close proximity of the encounters and the time frame in question, Many believe that Keel was justified in his explanation of the grinning man and injured cold being one and the same. Cold's apparently prophetic involvement in the Point Pleasant disaster paints a picture of that creature, or whatever you might call him, as something to be feared. And if the grinning man encounters are indeed connected to injured cold, perhaps there's something to be said for that hypothesis. But Woodrow Derenberger's accounting suggests Cold and his associates were merely simple travelers. Unfortunately, there have been no modern sightings of Cold or The Grinning Man, so if there's any truth of the weave through this story, it's likely to remain hidden in the unforeseeable future. The stories of injured Cold and Derenberger incident are favorites of many in the paranormal community, and much speculation has been focused on these reports. Really the only source materials available are Keel and Derenberger's books, but that doesn't mean that there aren't many tellings in the stories online. You never know. One may wait for you on your late night drive home. Just remember, not all smiles are honest.
1: Well, that was truly terrifying. What about you, Austin? Uh what terror tales will you be sharing with
3: us? I have a story. It's I know typically around campfires people like to tell stories that are, you know, passed down, old fables, this that and the other, but I have a personal experience that happened to me that I will tell. Um So my dad, to start the story off, my dad passed away in 2015. And my family, my stepmom and my brother and sister still live in the house that they owned when he was alive. And I, um, it was a few months after he passed away, I went down um, to, it's in Charlotte, North Carolina. It's out in the woods, right next to this big farm, but, you know, the closest actual house to it hundreds and hundreds of yards away. It's very much isolated by itself in the woods. And I was going down to visit, I didn't realize that they were all going to be out of town when I went down. But they left me a key under a rock to get in the house and I showed up around eleven o'clock. It was very, very just there's something in the air. It was just it was a creepy night. Um very dark really dark outside I remember that and I pulled up around 11 o'clock that night to the to the house pulling through the trees and I walk inside the house and all the lights are turned off and it was immediately as soon as I walked into the house it felt like just something it felt like something just hit me like I, I was short of breath I was really lightheaded and I just kind of figured, oh, you know, I'm tired. It's been a long day. So I walk on in the house. I turned one lamp on and I was on the phone at the time and I'm mid-sentence and I hear a thump upstairs. And I turned and I looked and I I was like, okay, I'll call you back. And I, I hung the phone up and I walk upstairs. And as soon as I get to the top of the stairs, I hear that same thump downstairs. And so I walk down the stairs And I get the only thing I have is a pocket knife out. So I walk through the hallways and I hear this thump repeatedly in the back of the house. So I thought, well, maybe they left the dog for the, they left the dog here. Uh, I walk back to where the thump is and I open the door and the thumping stops. And I just was frozen because I realized the dog was at the kennel. It was not at the house. And I was there all by myself at 1130 at night on a dark night in the middle of the woods. And there's something in the house. So I closed the door and I kind of chalked it up to just me being paranoid. And I went back in and I sat down and I turned the TV on to try to calm myself down. And about three or four minutes later, I hear footsteps from the back of the house again. And I couldn't tell if it was maybe, maybe there's, maybe it's thumping around. It's there's a squirrel in the side of the house or something has, something's just in, in the house like a, like a rodent or something and all of a sudden I hear I hear the, the thumping stop and then it feels like it just feels like someone walks in the room. like I could just tell that the, the frequency in the room just shifted and I could I could feel someone walking down the hallway and into the living room and I stood up and they and whatever it was got right in my face and just sat there. As if telling me that it doesn't want me there. And so I slowly walked, I grabbed my bag, and as I got to the door, I felt pressure on my shoulder, and something grabbed me and pulled me back. And I ran out the door, and I got in my car, and I took off as fast as I could. And then so, as I pulled away, I glanced in the rearview mirror. And I left that lamp on in the living room because I was so terrified I just took off. I didn't even think to turn it off. And as I went away, I saw a shadow pass by the window very quickly. And I've never been so terrified in my entire life. I flew down the road through through the woods back into town. I got a hotel that night. But I had to go to the house the next day. And my family was going to be back. I ended up telling them what happened, and my stepmom pulled me to the side and explained to me that I wasn't imagining anything. That they've had a lot of crazy things happen over the last few years, even before my dad passed away. Um, doors opening, faucets turning on, light switch—you know, light switches on and off. Um, but. The scariest thing was that she kept seeing a figure. There was a studio separate from the house that used to be a four-car garage that my dad turned into his photography studio. And she, she told me she kept seeing this figure out in the studio. Every time she would go out there, it was like a small figure, like a little boy or something. She thought it was my little brother messing with it, but it wasn't. And she kept seeing it and seeing it and seeing it. And then she stopped seeing it all of a sudden. Well, a few months after that happened, I brought my girlfriend at the time down. And we were going to stay out in the studio. I hadn't even thought about this anymore since that. Like, I put completely blocked it from my memory. And I bent down to pick up a pillow. We uh, we were getting the bed, you know, putting the sheets and stuff on the bed. And when I bent down, I had been blocking her view of the door out into the living room. And as soon as I bent down, she screamed and I hadn't told her anything yet. Like I had not, I didn't want her to be scared. I hadn't told her any of the story. And when I bent down, she screamed and just started crying and told me that, When I moved from the door, she saw a little boy run past the doorway. I've never been so close to peeing my pants in my entire life. But then I had to act like it was nothing and tell her that she was seeing things. And then I had to sleep out there all night knowing what I had already heard from my stepmom, and then what she just saw that completely collaborated the story together. I still won't go in the studio. It's been like four years. I refuse to go in the studio.
1: Is anyone else feeling
4: a chill in the room? It's where it happened, you know.
5: Okay, I'm getting kind of weirded out, you guys.
4: Nah, this is okay. Hey, wait, Brenna, let's take a selfie for our Instagram. Say, scream
5: screen
4: well that looks a little uh distorted oh it's a bad
1: wiring anyway uh dear listeners let's move this terror train right along to hosts jameson and brenna of the dl weekly gaming news who have two tales for you this evening ladies first brenna
5: though not Quite a tale of horrors, these poems are sure to slip you into a stupor of spook. Through long nursery nights, he stood by my bed, unwearing, loomed gigantic, formless, queer purring in my haunted ear. That same hideous nightmare thing, talking as he lapped my blood, and a voice cruel and flat, saying forever, Cat, Cat, Cat. For my second poem, something a little more appropriate for special listeners. The cutting wind is a cruel foe, I dare not stand in the blast. My hands are stone and my voice a groan. and the worst of death is past. But I am a little maiden still. My little white feet are sore. Oh, lift me over the threshold and let me in at that door.
0: Okay, I need to visit the restroom.
1: Uh, down the hallway, uh, down two flights, 13th door on the left. Might want to use your iPhone flashlight. Oh, great. Well, goodbye, everybody. A brilliant tale from Brenna. More cocktails all around.
4: Well, Jameson, let's see if you can top that scary short. Alright, guys, I'm going to tell you the story of Mossman. One Halloween, a group of teenage boys decided to play a prank on the school bully. They invited him to a secret initiation into the Society of the Forest. The most popular high schoolers would be in attendance. They chose a spot where the ground was completely covered in moss. One of the boys, dressed in camouflage ghillie suit, and hid in the thicket with the others, dressed in black robes with hoods, they gathered around a makeshift altar underneath the tree canopy. The bully arrived, and the ceremony began with inintelligible chants. The bully looked about and decided he'd been punked. He shouted threats at the hoaxers. Just then, the boy in hiding sprung up from the moss-covered ground and grabbed the bully, dragging him deep underground. The other boys assumed their friend had discovered a cave or an underground opening, laughing and cheering him on as the bully cried out in terror. Their laughter broke off when the boy, dressed in the ghillie suit, came walking out of the forest. Confused, the boys turned in the direction where Mossman had dragged the bully away. The boys screamed and, stumbling over each other, ran out of the woods. The bully was never seen again, and the story of Mossman was born.
1: Ooh, that was ghoulishly grisly. Now, what about. Ken, what happened to you? Hey,
0: uh, why are you covered in slime? I eventually found the bathroom. On the way, things happened. Extra dimensional whatevers screaming some things. Ooh, cocktail.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, I was about to say. Uh, Jameson, you have a memory or two of All Hallows' Eve to impart.
4: Uh, Favorite Halloween memory. My favorite Halloween memory would have to be uh, when I was a kid, we had family friends that lived, oh, probably like 40 miles from us. And they lived in a nice, you know, gated community. And we didn't get to see them often, that often. They had two kids that were uh, me and my siblings age. But every Halloween, without fail, we would always go down to their housing tract. And we would have dinner. We would get to hang out with uh, you know, their daughters, our friends. Often we would watch. This is like about the time that YouTube started, too. Or even before YouTube, when there was just weird internet videos. So we'd you know, sometimes play video games or, you know, watch, like, goofy internet videos, and then we'd all take pictures together in our costumes, and we would go out uh, trick-or-treating. Some of the houses had really, uh, really cool, like, you know, uh, decorations and whatnot. Some of them were super spooky, and I'm, I'm not a, like, I can't handle scary stuff, so that would always creep me out. Uh, but one of the years... I had like my favorite costume. We had gone to like a nice like Halloween shop and I had gotten like an authentic, like Star Wars uh TIE Fighter pilot helmet. And so I dressed up as a TIE Fighter pilot and I was I was very happy. The helmet was probably a little too big for me in hindsight, but I still have it. It was like it was a couple it was helmet was every bit like a hundred and fifty dollars. It it's very nice. So that's uh that's probably Probably my favorite Halloween memory, Brenna.
1: What about your fondest Halloween memory?
5: So my fondest Halloween memory isn't very spooky. Uh, I had gone to a it was like a work after party and whatnot um, for Halloween, and they were all older human beings. And so it was just all of us got together, dressed up, had fun. Too many jello jello shots, that's for sure. But around. Um, two in the morning, I had convinced everyone to kind of gather around and sing uh, Bohemia Rhapsody by Queen. And so this is like 50 people at uh, at a party and they had a karaoke machine. And so we all banded together and it was insane. We were all singing at the same time, kind of like swaying back and forth. But it was ridiculous because we were all like pirates and everything that was ridiculous and inappropriate costumes everywhere. And so it it was all a great time. And I just remember having the most fun ever.
1: I recall many a fond Halloween memory myself. I too have a story to tell, but I think I'll save that for after our other guests arrive. And now to you sufficiently sauced Ken. And now from the host of Chad, a fallout 76 story. Let's hear your more trick and treat tale.
0: While I've had real life supernatural experiences, I wanted to read a story that uh, I think personifies Autumn and the hidden horrors that are found in it, not only that are found outside in cemeteries, but also in the human heart. One of my favorite short stories is called The Emissary by Ray Bradbury. He knew it was autumn again because Dog came running into the house, bringing the windy, cold smell of autumn with him. In every black dog hair, he carried autumn, leaves caught in his dark ears, drooping from his white chest and off his tail. Dog smelled just like autumn. Martin sat up in bed and reached down with one small hand. Dog barked and showed a long length of pink wet tongue which he passed over and along the back of Martin's hand Dog licked him like a lollipop Because of the salt of my skin, declared Martin as Dog jumped up on the bed Get down, warned Martin Mom doesn't like you up here Dog dropped his ears Well, Martin softened Just for a little while then Dog warmed Martin's small body with his dog warmness. Martin loved the clean smell of dog and the pile of colorful leaves on the blanket. He didn't really care if mom was angry. What is it like outside today, dog? Tell me. Lying there, dog would tell him. Lying there, Martin would know what autumn was like. Like in the old days before sickness had put him in bed. His only contact with Autumn now was his dog. His leafy fur, the only hint of summer gone by. His Autumn emissary. Where did you go today, dog? But dog didn't have to tell him. He knew. Over a tall hill, leaving footprints in the tall hills of leaves, down to where the kids ran shouting on bikes and roller skates in the park. That's where Dog ran, barking out his doggy delight, and down into the town where rain had fallen dark earlier, and mud was under car wheels, down between the feet of weekend shoppers. That's where Dog went. And wherever Dog went, then Martin could go too, because Dog would always tell him by the touch, feel, the wet, dry, or weather smell of his coat. And lying there holding dog, Martin would send his mind out to run with him, to rewalk each step of dog's way through fields, over the running creek, across the white tombstones of the graveyard, into the woods, over the meadows. Martin could go now through his emissary. Mother's voice sounded downstairs. Her quick, angry walking came up the steps. Martin pushed, Get down, dog! Dog vanished under the bed just before the bedroom door opened, and Mom looked in, blue eyes blinking. She carried a tray of sandwiches and fruit juice. Is Dog here? she demanded. Dog answered with a few bumps of his tail against the floor. Mom set the tray down. That dog is more trouble, always upsetting things and digging places. He was in Miss Lim Lee's garden this morning and dug a big hole. Miss Lee is really mad. Oh, Martin held his breath. There was silence under the bed. Doug knew when to keep quiet. And it's not the first time, said Mom. This is the third hole he's made this week. Maybe he's looking for something. Something. He's just too curious. He can't keep his black nose out of anything, always looking. There was a hairy movement of tail under the bed. Mom couldn't stop smiling. Well, she ended, if he doesn't stop digging in yards, I'll have to keep him in and not let him run. Martin opened his mouth wide. Oh, no, Mom, don't do that. Then I wouldn't know anything. He tells me. Mom's voice softened. Does he tell you, son? Sure. He goes around and comes back and tells me what happens. Tells me everything. Mom's hand was softly touching his head now. I'm glad he tells you. I'm glad you have him. They both sat a moment, thinking how boring the last year would have been without dog. Only two more months, thought Martin, of being in bed, like the doctor said, and I'll be up again. Here, Dog. Martin locked the special collar around Dog's neck. It was a note, painted on a simple metal square. My name is Dog. Will you visit my owner who is sick? Please follow me. And the sign worked. Dog carried it into the world every day. Will you let him out, Mom? Yes, if he's good and stops his digging... He'll stop, won't you, Dog? The dog barked. You could hear Dog barking far down the street and away, going to find visitors. Martin had fever, and his eyes felt hot in his head as he sat, listening, sending his mind running along with his dog, faster, faster. Yesterday, Dog had brought Mrs. Susong from John D. Street with a storybook for a present. The day before, Dog had brought Mr. Jang Wu, the jeweler, and sure enough, he'd arrived to pay Martin a little visit. Now, Martin heard Dog returning through the warm afternoon sun, barking, running, barking again. Footsteps came following after Dog. Somebody rang the downstairs bell softly. Mom answered the door. Voices talked. Dog raced upstairs, jumped up on the bed. Martin looked up excitedly, his face smiling, to see who'd come to visit this time. Maybe Miss Tech or Mr. Kim K, or Miss Shim Bu Su, or... The visitor walked upstairs, talking to Mom. It was a young woman's voice, talking with a laugh in it. The door opened. Martin had company. 4 days passed and dog did his job reported to Martin each morning afternoon and evening the temperatures leaf colors rain levels and most important of all he brought visitors Miss Chung Chang Chian arrived on Saturday she was the young laughing pretty school teacher with the soft brown hair and a nice way of talking she lived in the big house on Park Street it was her third visit in a month because Martin could not come to school. On Sunday, it was Reverend Hu Hongyang, and Monday, Miss Chibop, and Mr. Hiteki. And to each of them, Martin explained about his dog, how in spring he smelled like wildflowers and fresh earth. In summer, he was baked warm, sun-crisp like bread. In autumn, now a treasure of gold leaves hidden in his fur for Martin to explore. Dog demonstrated this for visitors, too, turning over on his back, waiting to be explored. Then one morning, Mom told Martin about Miss Chun, the new teacher who was so pretty and young and laughed. She was dead. Killed in a car accident, and Moon Huang Dong Martin held on to his dog, remembering Miss Chun, thinking of the way she smiled, thinking of her bright eyes, her soft chestnut hair, her quick walk, her nice stories about castles and people. So now she was dead. She wasn't going to laugh or tell stories anymore. That's all there was to it. She was dead. What do they do in the graveyard, Mom, under the ground? "'Nothing. "'You mean they just lay there?' "'You should say lie there,' corrected Mom. "'Lie there, then, that's all?' "'Yes,' said Mom. "'That's all they do. "'That doesn't sound like much fun. "'Oh, Martin, it's not supposed to be fun. "'But why don't they get up and walk around sometimes "'if they get tired of lying there?' "'I think you've said enough now,' said Mom." I just wanted to know. Well, now you know. Sometimes I think God's pretty silly. Martin! Martin was silent. You think he'd treat people better than throw dirt on their faces and tell them to lay still forever? You think he'd find a better way? What if I told Dog to play dead dog? He can do that for a little while, but then he gets bored of it and shakes his tail or blinks his eyes or jumps off the bed and walks around. I bet those graveyard people do the same, huh, dog? That's enough, said Mom loudly. I don't like talk like that. The autumn continued. Dog ran across forests, over the creek, exploring through the graveyard as was his custom and into town, around and back, missing nothing. In mid-October, the Dog began to act strangely. He couldn't seem to find anybody to come and visit Martin. Nobody seemed to pay attention to his sign anymore. Dog came home seven days without bringing one visitor. Martin was deeply sad about it. Mom explained, Everybody's so busy, that's all. People have lots to worry about besides dogs and signs. Yeah, said Martin. I guess so. But there was more to it than that. Dog had a strange look in his eyes. As if he wasn't really trying to find visitors, or didn't care, or or something. Something Martin couldn't understand. Maybe Dog was sick. Well, forget the visitors. As long as he had Dog, everything was fine. And then one day, Dog ran out and didn't come back at all. Martin waited quietly at first, then nervously, then anxiously. At time, he heard Mom and Dad call, Dog! Here, Dog! But nothing happened. Dog didn't answer. There was no sound of his soft feet outside the house. No loud barking in the cold night air. Nothing. Dog was gone. Dog wasn't coming home. Ever. Tree leaves fell past the window. Martin lay down on his pillow slowly, feeling a pain deep in his chest. The world seemed dead now. There was no more autumn, Because there was no dog to bring it into the house. And there would be no winter either, because there was no dog feet to bring in the snow. No more seasons, no more time. The emissary had been lost, probably hit by a car, or lost, or stolen, and there was no more time. Crying, Martin turned his face to his pillow. He had no contact with the world. Martin's world was dead. In three days, the Halloween pumpkins were laying, broken in garbage cans. Masks were burnt in fires. The monsters and ghosts and witches were all put away until next year. Halloween was sad, unhappy, uninteresting. It had simply been another boring evening, that was all. Martin stared at the ceiling for the first three days of November, watching sunlight and moonlight shine across it. Days got shorter, darker, earlier. He could see that through his window. The trees were naked. The autumn wind was cold in temperature. But it was just an empty show outside his window, nothing more. He wasn't interested. During the day, Martin read books about people that were all dead and gone. He listened each day, but didn't hear the one sound he wanted to hear. Friday night came. His parents were going out to the movies. They'd be back at 11 o'clock. Mrs. Tang Tihang from next door would come over for a while until Martin got sleepy, and then she would go home. Mom and Dad kissed him goodnight, and walked out of the house into the cool autumn air. He heard their footsteps go down the street. Mrs. Tang came upstairs, stayed a few minutes, then turned off the lights and went back across the street. Silence, then. Martin just lay there and watched the stars moving slowly across the sky. It was a clear evening, just like when he and Dog used to run together across town, across the sleeping graveyard, across the creek through the grass, down the green streets chasing their dreams. Now it was after nine o'clock. If only Dog would come home, bringing some of the world with him, a leaf or a flower, or just the wind in his hair. If only Dog would come home. And then... Way off somewhere, there was a sound. Martin sat up, shaking. Starlight was in his small eyes. He threw off his blankets, listening, listening. There again was the sound. It was so small, the sound, like it was miles and miles away. It was the dreamy sound of a dog barking. It was the sound of a dog coming fast across the night fields, down dark streets, the sound of a dog running and letting his breath out into the night, the sound of a dog circling and running. It came and went, the sound, it came forward and went away, as if dog was being walked on a chain by someone, as if the dog was running and somebody was walking home with him. Martin felt hot suddenly, sweaty and excited, nervous. The faraway barking continued for five minutes, growing louder and louder. Dog, come home. Dog, come home. Dog, boy. Okay, dog. Where have you been? Oh, dog, dog. Another five minutes, nearer and nearer. And Martin kept saying the dog's name over and over again. Bad dog. Bad dog running away and leaving him alone for all these days. Bad dog. Good dog. Come home. Oh, dog. Hurry home and tell me about it. Tell me about the world. Tears fell onto his blankets. Nearer now. Very near. Just up the street. Barking. Dog. Martin held his breath. The sound of dog feet in the dry leaves down the road. And now, right outside his house, barking, barking, dog, barking at the door. Martin called out. Should he run down and let dog in? Or should he wait for mom and dad to come home? Wait, no, yes, he should wait. But it would be terrible if, while he waited, dog ran away again. No, he would go down and open the door, and his dog would jump into his arms again. Oh, good dog. He started to move off the bed when he heard a new sound. The door opened downstairs. Somebody was kind enough to open the door for Dog. Dog had a visitor with him, of course. Mr. Goudodek. Or perhaps Miss Mang Mang. The door opened and closed. And Dog came running upstairs, barking up on the bed. Dog, where have you been? What have you done all this week? Martin laughed and cried all at once. He grabbed the dog and hugged him. Then he stopped laughing and crying, stopped suddenly He just stared at Dog with wide, surprised eyes. The smell coming from Dog's fur was different. It was a smell of dirt, dead dirt, dirt that smelled like unhealthy, decaying things under the ground, stinking, stinking, smelly earth. Pieces of this awful soil fell off Dog's feet. And something else. A small, white piece of skin? Was it skin? Was it? Was it? What kind of message was this from Dog? What did it mean? The smell. The awful cemetery dirt. Dog was a bad dog. Always digging where he shouldn't dig. Dog was a good dog. Always making friends so easily. Dog liked everybody. He brought them home with him. And now, oh, now, a new visitor was coming up the stairs, slowly pulling one foot after the other painfully, slowly, slowly, slowly coming up. Dog, 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 where have you been? yelled Martin. A piece of dark dirt dropped from Donk's chest. The door to the bedroom moved in. Martin had company.
1: That was perfect. Just perfect. So, what time is it? Oh, good. Almost time. Our other guests should be arriving shortly, so we'll need to wrap you uh, this up uh, quickly. To end the evening, what's your fondest Halloween memory, Ken?
0: Ah, my Halloween memories. Well, growing up, um, Halloween in New England is very much a tradition in so many ways. It's filled with leaf raking and pumpkin carving and corn mazes and scary houses, haunted attractions and hayrides. Um, my parents, every October, would take us. One of the few things that we did as a family every year, we'd get together and go to Applecrest Orchard in New Hampshire. Uh, it was always a very cool place when you are a kid because they had lots of free samples of hot cider and caramel-wrapped donuts um we'd go around we'd pick apples together they'd hop on this little hay wagon that would take us out into the orchard pulled by horses and you know you walk through the orchard and it's a cool autumn day picking apples right off the tree and eating them and eating so many that you would get a really upset stomach from all of that acid in your stomach um Doing that, that kind of thing as a family was always really important. But uh, I was born on October 29th, so Halloween was not so much just a holiday, it also became an excuse for a birthday party. Um, one of my favorite Halloween memories growing up was doing trick or treating first by myself and then with my little brother, my dad would take he and I out. And I think for most of my my growing up period, when I could actually go out trick-or-treating without getting funny looks from people handing out candy, um, was going out as a vampire. Uh, I always loved dressing up as Dracula every year, and my grandmother had made me my cape um, had taken some fabric, some white fabric and had sewn it into the inside of this black satiny material to make kind of this custom cape, uh, out of uh, one that we got from Kmart. Um, when I was younger than then, before then, it was all about getting those, those pre-box costumes where you had the, the weird, plastic overalls that are supposed to look like a character, and then that really uncomfortable plastic mask that was probably uh, coated in asbestos from China. Um, I think at one year, I went as Woody Woodpecker when I was five. As we got older, uh, trick-or-treating became more or less about uh, stealing candy from my brother. I, I would wait until he went to sleep, and then would pick through his and pick out the good stuff like the Snickers and the Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. And I would leave him stuff that I didn't want that were kind of the crap handouts that you would get. Uh, Like weird fresh fruit, which is kind of pointless. Uh, Toothbrushes and toothpaste. And one year a roll of pennies, which you couldn't really do anything with. Um, So much of the memories that I have of of halloween and october were so rich with a lot of those great memories of things that we did growing up and parties and birthdays
1: well dear listeners i'm afraid that's all the time your hosts have for this evening
5: okay that's it i want to go home now jamie this is
1: just like the house on the
3: hill hey i can't move Uh, well, neither can I. Uh, looks to me like the chair's clamped onto my arms. Um, anybody want to tell me what's going on? Straight up murdered, I called
1: it. I'm so sorry, friends. You see, I've been working for months on a special project. Your tales and memory have, well, fed it for the evening but it requires just a little bit more until it can stand on its own, you know, walk around the world. I'll leave you now. My little machine is starting up here, and I don't like to witness messes. Happy Halloween, Mr. Robot's here. Oh, Sebastian. How are things? Yes, that's right. Exit 13, then about 50 minutes or so to Craven Falls. Uh, take a right on Purgatory Point Road. Yes, you do. Drive safe. Oh, I'll be ready for you all. <laughs>